there were all these bands that were like considered new metal that I wouldn't consider new metal. Like, I'm sorry, if you're lumping Corn and Linkin Park together, like, those are two different bands doing very different things. Agreed 100%. It's just odd. It's odd, some of the bands that got the, like, new metal moniker. That was also the era where the TRL crowd, that was definitely something that they would listen to just to annoy the shit out of their parents. <laughs> I'd imagine, much like me, there was this group of kids like, yes, I'm going to watch TRL, but I'm going to pretend that I don't like the Backstreet Boys and that I don't sing I want it that way, but I'm totally going to be into this angsty shit that my parents are going to be like, you're not listening to this devil music. And it's like, <laughs> the hell I am. Well, and like... Hail Satan as I knock back a Mountain Dew and listen to Hoobastank. <laughs> or P.O.D. <laughs> <laughs> Hails Satan while he's over there praising Jesus and shit. <laughs> I feel so alive for the very first time. <laughs> and I think I can fly. I think. I'm not sure. Unconfirmed. <laughs> Let's test this theory, shall we? Hold on. I need another Mountain Dew. Give me another Dew, please. Thank you. <laughs> so, as much as I make fun of that song, Shortly after 9-11, all I did was play The Sims and listen to the album, and especially that song. Interesting. I think it was just a weird coping mechanism. Because once I wasn't feeling that anymore, I'm like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> like, what the hell is this song? I don't know the word, but I am amused by the fact that you are playing The Sims, a game in which you basically are God fucking around with little synthy life things and listening well, to i feel so alive i don't know <laughs> i feel like i feel so alive as i delete this ladder for the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i took your door away and i'm gonna light your house on fire <laughs> you're gonna set bottle rockets off in your living room <laughs> Oh, no, the worst would be when you get, like, fly infestations. I'm like, can you please? Where are these flies coming from? <laughs> They're coming from your messy-ass Sim. Clean up after his <laughs> shit. Oh, I was just so tired of my Sims soiling themselves because they couldn't walk diagonally. Like, my God, that chair is not in your way. listening to you talking like a teen i am ashley and i'm not ashley uh we are we are sorry <laughs> yeah um i heard that on the radio the other day and wait um, youth of a nation yeah youth of the nation and um was bummed out at how much that shit still fucking resonates man <laughs> that sucks <laughs> Just imagine, you will probably leave this world with full knowledge and full awareness of the fact that P.O.D. were a thing. Uh, because for a very brief moment in time, they were 
everywhere. I did not have that album. However, my brother had that album and probably almost came within an inch of lighting his stereo on fire listening to it so much. Good God. Oh, and then when he did the song for the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Zion away. Oh, my God. How are the Matrix soundtracks? I do not remember these at all. The first one's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Mm. When it ever comes to like late 90s, I think this is where the two of us start to diverge. Because <laughs> we've been getting along way too well with our musical tastes. I think this is around the time where if we were friends and hung out, this would be the part where our friendship would be tested. Yeah, where I'm like, hey, Adrian, this is great. Can we not listen to Prodigy anymore? Please. see and that right there was enough to just be like <laughs> i wouldn't fight you i would just be very upset and probably just leave and not talk to you for a couple of days and send like really passive aggressive away messages on aim <laughs> oh my god rock is dead alone eh. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't love Marilyn Manson. I think he's a super interesting dude. I think he has a an interesting voice. It gets borderline a little too, like, angry white dude for me. And there definitely is that. Like, okay, Antichrist Superstar in, like, Smells Like Children, definitely. Yeah. But around the time of Mechanical Animals, he just goes glam. I think this is around a time where, to me, he got really fun because I don't think your average Malin Manson fan, and maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but I don't know if they knew how to deal with it. Which is cool. Like, that's awesome that he has the range and, you know, that sort of level of creativity just to do two very different things and yet still be pretty on brand. And that is that part of new metal that's always stuff because so much of it was steeped in like angry white dude music. And as a not white dude, <laughs> but just angry dude in general. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like angry white dude music. It's like, oh, we're upset because, you know, there's all this pop music and people are talking about like love and stuff. And I want to be able to like throw shit and set fires at Woodstock. <laughs> I was like, no, honestly, I just like the energy because it was just fun shit to write to. So much of this music makes me think of, like, the dude that Ben Folds was singing about in Rockin' the Suburbs, where, you know, he's complaining about being, you know, just an angry middle-class white dude who just wants to get up and swear and and be angry and all this other shit. And I just, so much of it just feels so disingenuous. If some of these bands had come out prior, they would have sounded completely different because they would have just jumped on whatever the bandwagon was. That is a thing that you and I lived through, especially with pop punk. Holy shit, my dude. There were so many disingenuous, shitty pop punk bands that just sort of saw a really easy way to like learn five chords and make a major cash grab. And part of me hates it, and the other part of me is like, damn, I should have fucking did that shit. <laughs> I could have learned five chords. Because, you know, I think about so much pop punk, especially, like, the subculture of pop punk that aped, like, that Ramones, kind of like that almost 50s 
teenage rebel kind of vibe mm-hmm. where everybody just happened to have like slick back hair and leather jackets and a cigarette in their ear for whatever reason. That like op ivy kind of shit. Yeah, or like, and I love them to death. Uh, like, let's say like Teen Idols or um, the Riverdales, but you know, like, there's like that group of pop punk bands that I would not have been allowed to shows because okay, we're taking a fifties vibe. Guess what? I'm not allowed. Yeah, segregation. <laughs> What's good? <laughs> like, hey, oh, oh no. I mean, oh. hell, I remember watching like concert footage from like a Black Flag show from like '84, like the year I was born. My mind was blown. That there's, like, black people in the crowd. And it was, to me, the coolest thing ever. Because I'm like, that could have been me. Yeah. And had you been born, you know, 20 years earlier, it would have been you. But there would have been no podcasting. I really just would have been that guy. It's like, so, um, you guys like the same... No? All right. All right. All right. (laughs) I guess I'll go home now. <laughs> you guys listen to Slip It In. I mean, that's it's a wild album, right? You know, with the no, no, no. Okay, cool, no. fair. All right, all right. Oh, Have a good show. night. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, as I always say, time travel sucks when you're brown <laughs> or a woman. But yeah, like this is like pop punk would definitely have that. I mean, ska maybe had it worse. But then, oh my god, the late 90s. Okay, so this is wild. So in the late 90s, you have the rise of new metal. Then you had pop music. Then you had, like, third wave ska was still kind of a thing. And then you had, like, this, like, short-lived swing era. Where, like, Brian Setzer's getting regular radio and video play. Those fucking Gap commercials. <laughs> Ruined everything. <laughs> I don't understand how it happened. I mean, it's good money if you can get it. And I'm sure he was like, hell yeah, I'm relevant again. And um, all these things existed at the exact same time. Adrian, we put a band named Cherry Poppin' Daddies on the radio. And that was the least offensive part about them. <laughs> Did anyone really actually like research like the Zoot Suit Riots? Riot. <laughs> throw back a bottle of beer and this song yeah. like okay are you just gonna actively reference a violent race war where a bunch of white people beat up like puerto rican kids for no reason ah the 90s were a simpler time we thought racism was dead if we had stopped skanking for a minute <laughs> stop with the pole going and, and get a little bit more progressive all right <laughs> oh my gosh let's go into the zoo suit riots because why not Yep, the Zuzud riots were a series of violent clashes in which mobs of U.S. servicemen, off-duty police officers, and civilians brawled with young Latinos and other minorities in Los Angeles. The June 1943 riots took their name from the baggy suits worn by many minority youths during that era, but the violence was more about racial tension than fashion. And the fact that a band called Sherry Pop and Daddy is with, like, the whitest dudes ever who are so far removed from this just yell out Zuzud riot, like, it made me so angry. Even then, I'm like, the internet still existed. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they would have been dragged if social media was the thing. Yes, you were wearing zoot suits, but those are part of a group of people that you actively beat the shit out of because they were different than you. You got me in a sway, and I want to swing you down. Now you sailors know where your women come for love. What the f- what? These are lyrics from this song. Wow. Yeah. As the zoot suit became more popular among young men in African-American, Mexican-American, and other communities, the clothes garnered a somewhat racist reputation. Oh, my gosh. And guess what? The people who started the rise in suits, guess what they were wearing? Sailor suits. 
armed with clubs, pipes, and bottles, this self-appointed posse of uniformed men was all set to settle the zoot suit war when a Navy shore patrol stepped in and broke it up. So this song is literally about the zoot suit riots. It's not a white dude heard a phrase that he thought was fun. Yes. It's kind of recalling imagery from that event or a series of events. It's not taking a stance on it. It's just recounting it. Wait, 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 wait. Songwriters Steve Perry. Wait, like... Like Journey, Journey Steve Perry? Like, I should have been gone. <laughs> oh, Sherry, all alone. No, no, different all Steve Perry. <laughs> Apparently, the dude that's the singer... From the Cherry Pop and Daddy's name is also Steve Perry. Oh, I would have been like, hey, you know, I wrote like, you know, <laughs> with open arms, right? Like, you're not Steve Perry. Like, oh. I've heard that dude sing. He can't fucking hit Steve Perry's notes. <laughs> um, I take it all back. The 90s were awful, too. <laughs> I just like, we bopped in our cars to this. Oh, no. Did you read this? No. In an interview with songfacts.com, Steve Perry explains the genesis of the Swing Revival Gym. I wrote it inspired by the Zuzu riots. I guess it seemed like a Pachucho rallying cry that could double as a dance anthem for those of us interested in swing music and culture at a time when nobody else was. It was an expression of a proud marginalism. That's not deep, but there you go. Yikes, 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 yikes. Oh, no. Pump the brakes, like, just, no. Hold on, it gets... For the history buffs, okay, they're just basically recounting the... <sighs> Hold on. Is there actually more about this article? Because it's not that deep. This was a biased crime. Oh, my. See, this is... <laughs> Why did we do this to ourselves? <laughs> we could have been talking about POD and been fine. <laughs> For the very first time. <laughs> um, I don't know. Hooray racism. I don't, I don't know. All right. So this is interesting. What are your thoughts on the swing music trend and your part in it? I wish there had been more experimentation and quote, making it modern as opposed to playing covers and scuba doing around like a freckle faced Opie. It would have been cooler if it had retained some of the cartoonishness of say psychobilly. Instead, I think for a lot of people, a faint whiff of conservatism emanates from it. It's too bad because I feel that swing music has a lot of raw material for future music that has the energy and sophistication of jazz, gender equality in the scene, the sex appeal of dance music, and an interest in the lost art of formal dress. I would hope that it would attract a type of people who reject the arrogance and entitlement culture today and who value humility and toughness. I fantasize about folks working hard Don't say that word. toward a new... Don't say that word. In parentheses, I don't like to use the word less evolutionary line of pop music and youth culture this will never happen i'm afraid oof oh my gentle jesus <laughs> like oof. on one end i just want to be like fuck you guy but there really is like internal conflict all over the place because on one end it's like okay i kind of see what you're going for but then it just veers off into this like, you want to say something, you don't want to say something, but then it's like you want to try to bring attention to something that you never could. You were trying to speak for a group of people regarding a series of events or a culture that... You weren't fucking a part of. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, there is a part of it that's steeped in conservatism, which is kind of funny to me that this is happening at the exact same time as 
people are starting to embrace hip hop and now realizing that it's not just on the streets, like it's in the suburbs now. Hip hop was everywhere. And I feel like in a weird way that the swing era was a direct response to that because it was like things are going too far. We need to find a way to pull back because I feel like there's a group of people that maybe, just maybe, felt like they were losing their grip. A grip that they never should have had in the first place. Would you consider Lou Bega and Mambo Number no. 5 part of the swing revival? No. Okay. I mean, okay, for American audiences, <laughs> I would say yes, yes, absolutely, because it definitely played on those vibes. But I also know that Lou Bega, like, he had like a pretty big following overseas like he had been a thing for a while and continued to be a thing long after this song well and that song samples a mambo (laughs) like it's not swing music because it's something different right but to your average dumb american who doesn't know the fucking difference i would think it's interesting to sort of loop him in with some of these other swing dudes and see what happens there and then at the same time, like the Latin explosion is happening. So that really was an interesting time because looking back, you don't realize just how tumultuous it was. Music was fucking weird in like 98, 99. Everything felt like a direct response to something else. I remember very clearly with MTV when they had that whole thing about Return of the Rock, which like Lars Ulrich would host and be like, you know, be like, fuck all this pop stuff, rock's coming back, and we're going to talk about these new bands. You know, there's like this late 90s rock that always seemed to be a direct response to what pop music was. I mean, this is also a time where Sponge came out with like, what was it called? Was it New Pop Sunday? And Primus even just had an album called Anti-Pop. Like, everything just felt like this rebellion against mainstream culture. I guess maybe the sanitation of it. But at the same time, like, Blink-182 and, you know, Green Day and Simple Plan and some of these other, you know, pop-punk bands were considered just pop at that time. Did we really not have anything else to do (laughs) in 1998, 1999? Do we really not have anything else to be mad about? That we were so mad about Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Jessica Simpson being on the radio. I fed into that for a a good while, but yet I can't speak for you because I don't know if you ever had that issue. But I know for me, you know, and I think I said this on a previous episode where I grew up listening to pop music Mm -hmm. from like the 70s and 80s and 60s. The pop music that was happening in the 90s really wasn't too different from that. But there was also that part of me that just wanted to rebel against like screw pop music. But yet, I knew the words to most of the Spice Girls albums. I actually bought the CD single to Christina Aguilera's "Genie in the Bottle," unironically. <laughs> and you know, like I even admit that on the Tegan and Sarah Con X covers one uh, we did, where I had this weird love hate relationship with pop music. And I think for the longest time, it's like this shit ain't bad. Is it going to change the way you feel about the world? No, but there are worse things you could be doing. You could be doing Zoot Suit Riot. <laughs> riot. Hi. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was gold. Every time. That's amazing. Um. I almost want to keep that in. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was easier for me than it was for probably my dude friends who probably had a harder time being like, yeah, NSYNC fucking rocks 
because machismo and all that kind of shit. But like, yeah, I fucking grooved on that pop shit and I fucking grooved on some skater shit and I grooved on some rap shit and Ricky Martin was really fun. I don't know. I had a Dixie Chicks album. Like, what do you want from me? It was the 90s. Oh, Dixie Chicks are are more hardcore than any of the new metal shit. Preach. God, like, I had to love pop music in secret. You're not going to want to hear me go on about how I think that Hanson was a great band, but Mbop was probably the worst thing to happen to them. (laughs) Or that Say You Be There should have been the lead single off of the first Spice Girls album. Like... (laughs) I would have just been mocked, and now in my 30s realizing I love that shit. I skipped Hanson entirely, so I don't have an opinion one way or another. There was so little going on, I guess, or perceived so little going on, that this was the stuff we fought about pretty much until, like, 2001, where you're like, no, actually, even before that, I think around the time of the election. Yeah. Fun time's over. Everybody get out of the pool. (laughs) The tinfoil hat of me still finds it weird that just as Homeboy's, you know, well into his first term, that Rage Against Machine just suddenly broke up. It just seems like they had been prepping for that moment. (laughs) Yeah, like, it just felt like this was what they were kind of talking about. For that entire eight years, we heard nothing. (laughs) If we had Rage Against Machine, we wouldn't have had to deal with American Idiot. No. Eh. Sorry. I can't stand behind the, I can't stand behind that. I'm <laughs> I can't stand behind that take. <laughs> um No, I can't. There's no way to substantiate that. <laughs> no, because I'm pretty sure at that point and like I don't wanna talk shit about a dude I don't know, but I'm gonna talk shit about a dude I don't know. Um at that point I think Billy Joe sort of thought himself much more important than he actually was. You know what's funny, now that we think about it? Woodstock 99 really did feel like the logical turning point. And go figure that the 90s would end in a quite literal blaze. It was Limp Biscuit. It was break stuff, right? When they like started setting shit on fire. It was either them or was it Chili Peppers? I think it was a mix of both, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this festival that, I mean, when they tried it, funny enough, in 94 which was Green Day throwing mud at everybody and people mm-hmm. just going ape shit. Now it's like, oh, let's rekindle love of Woodstock with like $20 bottles of water on the hottest day of the summer and people being drunk and high and realizing, hey, we're pretty much living in like a shanty town. Woodstock 99, like, honestly, it's like, oh, Firefest, Firefest. Like, nah, the only thing no. that Woodstock 99 was missing was Ja Rule. <laughs> <laughs> he may have been there, actually. Hold on. I'm going to Google this. What is John Rule? <laughs> I'm on it. Was anyone from Murder, Inc. at Woodstock 99? <laughs> DMX uh, was there, though. Yeah. Apparently, they considered doing a Woodstock this year and canceled it before it began. I can't imagine why. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember begging my dad to take me to Woodstock. Yeah, because you guys were close enough that you could have gone. Yeah, like I could have gone, and my dad, like my dad, was not going to take me to a three-day festival where we probably would have been murdered. No, <laughs> I, I don't understand why not. <laughs> Hell, my dad wouldn't even take me to go to a corn concert that was like twenty minutes away from us. Like I'm not going there. <laughs> those those guys are all devil worshippers, and you end up on drugs. And is I've heard people get beat up at those shows, but yet 
he still remembers it like horn. And I remember years later, he had taped a like concert that they did on like on like cable on a DVD for me. And he was the one that texted me that like had uh, the one guitarist rejoined the group after he got mm-hmm. clean. And I was like, oh, you remembered that? Thanks. <laughs> and I'm, I was so mad that weekend. I was like, I could have been at this. So many of my bands, you know, were there. <laughs> and as I'm watching it sell on fire, I can imagine my dad being like, see, I told, I, I told you. <laughs> I just remember we, I think it was like 2000, 2001. It was a warp tour around then. I was like 12 or 13. And I went with my best friend and her dad. He bought a ticket because he refused to like let us be alone for the day. Like he should have. He is a adorable little man who rolled in with, you know, two little punk rock teenage girls. He had like two newspapers with him. He found a shady tree and he sat down. <laughs> And he read the newspaper all day. (laughs) He paid $30 to sort of hang out and make sure we didn't get murdered. But like, he didn't even like actually follow us around or anything. But your dad should have just did that. Yeah. Just wait in the car. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I would have been okay. I don't. I mean, it was also an arena show. So I'm pretty sure the odds of me getting beaten in the stands are more likely at like a Yankees game (laughs) or a Devils game than that corn. Because I feel like everybody there, like, okay, if I were floor seats or like dead ass in the pit, then yeah, by all means, dad, bring your dad and your gun because we're probably going to have to like fight our way out of here. Let's look at some of the bands who played Woodstock 99. Um, Woodstock 99 lineup. Okay, Google search Woodstock 99 lineup, Woodstock 99 violence, (laughs) Woodstock 99 attendance, Woodstock 99 riots, Woodstock 99 shirt. (laughs) (laughs) While I'm looking at the band list, can you price a shirt for me? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to put like fake bloodstains like char marks all over it? Oh, hell yeah. Oh my god, Adrian. Vertical Horizon. Blame oh my god! <laughs> Stay tuned for an episode about Vertical Horizon. We may just have to like compile a bunch of songs and go through them because there's that whole era. Wasn't that also like late '90s of like Vertical Horizon, like Fastball, Evan and Jaren? Oh yeah, Department Store Pop Alternative Rock. That's so fucking good. That shit that was my jam. I was such a lame little kid. We were both lame kids. Because on one end, it's like, yeah, Lip is getting corn. But fucking Evan and Jaren. I'm crazy for this girl. And like BB Mac. Oh. BB uh, Mac is awesome. <laughs> they played their own instruments and they were British. Okay, so I would have been on the West Stage on Friday, July 23rd, 1999. So we got Oleander, who was my shit. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Mo. Lit Buck Cherry, The Roots. I'm in what world can you have? You the, could have seen The Roots, dude. The Roots, George Clinton, and the P Funk All Stars, and Insane Clown Posse all shared a fucking stage. You're not yeah. gonna get that now. Uh, James Brown was on the East stage with Jamiroquai, Cheryl Crow, DMX. <laughs> I want Cheryl Crow and DMX to make an album. <laughs> And this is 1999 DMX. Who I want gave that shit. Zero fucks about <laughs> anything he said. 
he would bite Cheryl Crow in the face. Right? 99 Cheryl Crow. Was this the Globe Sessions? Um, I think it was the album after that. I think this was Beachy Cheryl Crow. I don't think this was Jazzy Cheryl Crow. Because Jazzy Cheryl Crow is my shit. Tuesday Night Music Club is a great album. It is a banger. Let's see. Sticky Pistol? What the fuck? Bijou Phillips? <laughs> B- hey, Ben Lee was on the Emerging Artist stage at Woodstock 99. I guess that didn't really work out for him, did it? Oh, is that what Ben Lee looks like? Yeah. I've never actually paid attention to what he looked like. My bad, Ben Lee. <laughs> Liars Inc. was at Woodstock? I thought they were my favorite band ever, but they're not great. Oh, God, Moby. Um, Have you seen the shit recently with him and Natalie Portman? God, Moby just needs to just stop. I mean, this is also the same guy who went on a whole rant about what people should and shouldn't buy, like on food stamps and shit. <sighs> Moby, you don't get to tell me how to live. You are just another entitled white guy. So wait, what do you do with Natalie Portman? Um, he apparently insisted that he dated Natalie Portman when he was 31 and she was like 17 or 18. I don't know if he posted a picture or she posted a picture but she commented on it and was basically like uh, yeah we were just friends actually and he was like no we dated i promise oh he pulled that shit wow yeah. but like the picture is very weird because he is not wearing a shirt and he is grinning like a moron and her face looks like she just wants to call 911 she looks so uncomfortable <laughs> I'm starting to have this feeling that Moby really had an issue with boundaries. I mean... I don't know if you saw that Pitchfork article that just went up where, like, Moby says Entree 3000 wants to turn down a collaboration because, quote, too many people are hating on you right now. <laughs> uh... To which, then, the, the byline is, Moby also says Andre quote, quickly stepped backward after he tried to hug the Outcast rapper. And that's not excusing the Natalie Portman stuff at all. But, like, maybe he's just socially inept. It could be social ineptitude. It could also be an entitlement thing. Uh-huh. And also, if he's worked with somebody, it's because he wants to. And I'm pretty sure he heard Moby shit and was like, nah. Then you're going to try to hug me? Like, back <laughs> up. Like, you're lucky big boy to just clock your ass. <laughs> Did you see the East stage lineup? Yeah. Holy wow. shit. So, let's run this down. We got the Tragically Hip, Kid Rock, Wyclef Jean and the Refugee All-Stars, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, and Alanis Morissette. So I'm like, you know what? Those are three that, you know what? That dad vibes. Followed by Limp Bizkit, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, and Metallica. I totally forgot Metallica was there. I think Metallica forgot they were there. I think Metallica wants to forget they were there. <laughs> There should have been a lot more collaboration. Like, can you imagine Adam Duritz on stage with Metallica? Like, you know, people boshing to Mr. Jones as, like, fucking Kirk Hammett's, like, thrashing away. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So this was 99, so it would have been right after uh, Supposed. So this is, like, not hippie, but, like, spiritual Lannis. Oh, which I know we mentioned Uninvited, but still, From Dogma is also another great song. Yes. Did we talk about, and maybe we should say that for when we talk about Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie, but I did not realize that one song was about her and Kevin Smith. Yeah, you told me that, and I'd never heard that. Long story short, they were almost a thing. 
go figure. Okay, so the West stage, you got Mike Ness of, uh, wait, Social Distortion, that's it. Yeah. Our Lady Peace, Rusted Root. Oh, Seven Dust is my shit. Aw, Collective Soul. I'm like a 40-year-old lady. I love Collective Soul. They're so great. I was going to message you last night and be like, can we just derail the entire <laughs> so-called premise of our show and have it exclusively be about Collective Soul? <laughs> this is now a Collective Soul podcast. In all your weight, it falls on me. Brings me down. His voice is so distinctive and interesting. Yeah. I just really like it. <laughs> that's all no i love collective soul so much like again i did this is just shit that i was super into that it was just like none of it made any sense i'm like who am i uh speaking of distinctive voices uh godsmack and megadeth i'm not the one who's so far away Ugh. when i feel the snake bite into my veins Godsmath is like a prime example of of a band that I would consider like angry white dude music. But apparently, not just for white guys. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why that song always gets me. <laughs> oh shit! Muse was on the emerging artist stage, like back before they sucked. Am I the only person that finds them hilarious? They are trying so hard. It's like the fucking Black Parade, where I'm like, you, you don't need to try this hard. Just scale it back. We already have Tom York. We don't need you. Yeah, but you know what? Tom York doesn't have distortion pedals. <laughs> um, that's because Tom York doesn't need distortion pedals. <laughs> like I he am is a distortion, distortion pedal. pedal. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you heard this bird chirping as I like you know melodically moaned. Yeah, that was me. What do you got? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were playing that little fancy guitar over there. Yeah, how much did that cost you? Fuck you. My voice is majestic. <laughs> I just did a 16-part harmony. I'm going to go play Xbox now. Bye. <laughs> 16 parts, one voice. There's, I didn't even have to do double tracks on that. <laughs> All came out of one. <laughs> uh, I just imagine Tom York. I don't think he's that hyper-aggressive, but I just imagine him in the studio. He's just like, fuck out of here. Print that shit. Look at this. In rainbows. Boom. I didn't even make any notes, but that shit was awesome. You're crying right now. You felt that. Oh my god, in rainbows. <laughs> um, like, I coughed and made Kid A, alright? <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> I just got five Grammys. Like, they just backed the truck up to the house. They just dumped them on the lawn. Oh, wow, Push Monkey. That's a band I never thought of in a while. Did you look at the East stage? <laughs> alright, now, this is getting interesting. So we got Willie Nelson, which, of course... Sure. How do you have a music festival without Willie Nelson? Yeah. He's kind of like country's answer to Snoop. Like, I just kind of have to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Setzer Orchestra Everlast? Everlast. Y'all see the man at the liquor store begging for your change. 
And that's that's the song. No, give me Grammy, please. And then I won't do anything ever again. Hey, Elvis Costello, run on. Fucking love Elvis Costello. This might be a perfect friendship test. What are your thoughts on the Elvis Costello Burt Backrack album? I don't think that I've heard it. Find that album, turn off your lights in your room, and just, with the candlelight. (laughs) Are you fucking Tom DeLonge? Don't tell me how to live my life. No, but basically what Tom was trying to do with his music, this will happen to you, it'll just hit you. It is such a damn good album. So good. All right, all right. Those two fucking, it's an experience. (laughs) So good. Also, we may have to talk about Jewel at some point, because it's fucking Jewel. And how much I love her? We can do that. I'm just going to go over here in this other tab and add it to the list real quick. Bruce Hornsby was at Woodstock with Everclear and Ice Cube and the reunion of NWA. Holy shit. And the Chemical Brothers. Ooh, Los Lobos. I know the one song that all white people know from Los Lobos, and that is it. I will also admit that I really did not make a huge dive into their discography now if I said that about Santana, I think at this point you would just hear a gunshot and like me just. <laughs> just um, fun fact, um, I did marching band in high school and one of our marching band shows was Santana songs. Ooh, they were high school kids playing Santana songs. So I'm sure it sounded great. OK, let's see. High school bands playing Santana songs or Rob Thomas performing on Santana songs. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I feel like the high school probably nailed that a little bit harder. Oh, my God. Wow, the string cheese incident. (laughs) Holy shit. What up, 90s? (laughs) (laughs) What is up? Ah, Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai got me a job. Yeah? And now, it's time for another edition of the Winded Nostalgia-Filled Ramblings of Adrian King in a segment we like to call Storytime. Here is your host, Adrian King. For the month I worked at FYE, I used to take night classes, and sometimes after work, uh, going into class, I would just have my uniform on. And uh, this lady, who's really sweet, by the way, and gosh, I can't even remember her name, she saw that I was wearing FYE uniform. like, oh, you work at FYE? I was like, yeah. Um, I was wondering, do you guys have the Jamiroquai's album, whatever one that Virtual Insanity was on? And I'm like, um, yeah, I'll check next time we're in. And it's weird, like, within a day or two, someone returned a copy of the CD. And she gave me her number, and I called her, and I was like, hey, by the way, we have the CD. And I was like, all right, cool, so I'll be in tomorrow morning. I set it to the side, and like, she's probably not going to come in for it. I go to work, like, the next day, like, she's there before I am. Like, she's, like, parked in her car. <laughs> and it was really, it was just like, oh, damn, like, you're really, like, committed to this. Dang. So, you know, she's you like, hey, really how's it going? And she, like, bought me coffee and shit. I was like, oh, thanks for, Aww. you know, getting a CD. So she got me coffee and she bought the album. And then we kind of became friends after that. So one day I come in, and this is after I got fired. Um, I was not wearing a uniform. She's like, oh, you're not wearing a uniform today. It's like, yeah, I'm not, you know, working there anymore. I was like, well, I have the spot open at the place I work doing, like, medical billing and, like, that entry kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, cool. So, you know, she put in a good word for me, put in the application, and actually got hired uh, pretty close soon thereafter. Nice. But um, the weird part about that story was as she's training me, because essentially she, I guess, was one of the supervisors in that department. She was training me on what they were doing. Someone comes over, and it's like, all right, we need you over here for something. And she's so confused. And long story short, I never worked with her. They ended up putting me in as a collection agent for a bank. 
Oh. Yeah. That sounds like the best job. It was the worst job. <laughs> Did you see some of the groups that were supposed to be there that didn't? Jeff Beck was scheduled to perform, but canceled due to a scheduling conflict. Thank God. Um, Sugar Ray was also slated to appear at Woodstock 99, but had to cancel due to Mark McGrath being sick. That sounds like code. Aerosmith canceled their appearance due to scheduling conflicts. The Foo Fighters canceled because they were still mixing their album. The Smashing Pumpkins were approached to appear at the festival, but frontman Billy Corgan declined because of concerns regarding the concert organizer's motives. That's a valid argument. Yeah. But this is also the guy who now shows up on InfoWars. Yeah. What happened? Like, we got to do Pumpkins at one point. Oh, hell yeah. But my God, has... I cannot think of a more unbelievable dropping off. Yeah, his trajectory is a major bummer. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Just looking at all like the incidences, I was like, oh, boy. Fred Durst, feminist icon. Fred Durst stated during the concert, quote, don't let anybody get hurt. But I, I don't think you should mellow out. That's what Alanis Morissette had you motherfuckers do. If somebody falls, pick them up. I think being at hardcore shows definitely is the weirdest thing ever because I can tell you how many times I've heard bands like, I want to see some violence out there on the floor, but be kind to each other. (laughs) And no disrespect to anybody who's either a fan or in hardcore bands, but it's something that I always just found weird because I'd watch people beat the ever-loving shit out of each other but they were super cordial about it like i see people get kicked in the face uppercut like it almost be like street fighter 2 except like one person would be like getting hadoukened (laughs) 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 and like hurricane kick but yet when that person falls like oh my bad you good like you know or people who try to get out of the pit you know they clear the space for them if someone got hurt they'd everybody kind of stop what they're doing and make sure they were okay and got them to safety but then once they were good they'd go back to beating the shit out of each other and it's like i don't i don't get it it's, it's such a strange dynamic <sighs> it's like if you want to beat the shit out of each other cool but if not we have to respect your wishes <laughs> So, before we go, we're on places on the interwebs. There's Twitter, which I run at T-L-A-T Podcast. That is the same handle for the Instagram, which the very awesome actually runs. Let's see, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Listen to us there. Hell yeah. That'll be it, and we'll see you next time. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.